Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm so excited to hear that uh, more and more people are tuning into the show every week. And we have an incredible lineup of guests uh, scheduled right through the fall right now. So thank you so much for listening and for your support. Tonight, we have a great show for you. My guest, who will be joining me in just a moment, Stephanie Newby, who is the CEO of Crimson Hexagon and also the founder of Golden Seeds, an investment organization for women in particular. And throughout the show, you'll be hearing from our watch team of contributors, Dr. Marianne Ritchie of Jefferson University Hospital with our Health Watch, Carol Wyman of Wyman Law Office for our Legal Watch, Holly Dowling, international uh, keynote speaker of hollydowling.com, will bring us our leadership watch. And um, we will also be hearing from some other contributors who are going to be joining our team uh, in just a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. As we gain more and more listeners every week, I'd love to hear from you. So be sure to visit me at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. And leave your thoughts on past shows. Uh, or suggestions for future guests. We love uh, to hear from you and and get some referrals. You can also email me at susan at womentowatch.net. And again, that's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So without further ado, uh, I'm very excited to have my guest with me in the studio today. And again, her name is Stephanie Newby, the CEO of Crimson Hexagon and founder of investment firm Golden Seeds. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. It's great to have you here. And you drove all the way from Boston? Uh, I just drove from Connecticut, actually. Oh, Connecticut. Okay. Okay. And it's it's nice that we're kind of a pit stop on your way to do some other things. Absolutely. And you got a great day weather-wise to be here. 
Um, so I wanted to start off, people will obviously hear your accent when you speak. You're from beautiful Australia. Um, I'd love for you to talk just for a few minutes about what your upbringing there, your uh, mom and dad and family, um, how they influenced who you are today as a, as a leader. Well, thank you, Susan. So, uh, yes, my accent is Australian, even though my grandfather, Newby, was born in America. So he did a reverse immigration thing oh, of uh, traveling to Australia back in uh, the early, oh, the late 1800s. Okay. Um, however, I grew up in the country in Australia, in New South Wales. My parents moved around a little bit. We lived on a farm. We lived in the Snowy Mountains area. And uh, my hometown of Dubbo was out west, um, so it gets very flat once you go another 10 miles beyond Dubbo, I can assure you. <laughs> um, my, my family was very religious, and, um, and I therefore grew up quite religious until I went to Sydney University. Uh, in fact, my parents did not want me to go to university. They thought I would get a lot of funny ideas, and I guess I wow. did because uh, it did certainly lead to more independent thought. And mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, um, after you know some struggles in my twenties, I concluded that I was not going to be uh, to remain a, a religious nut. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that caused some difficulties and perhaps one of the reasons why I have lived away from home so long because I did leave Australia in uh, uh, in my mid-twenties. Mm. Um, but one of the great things that I learned and I loved to sing and uh, was uh, a song that always stuck in my mind, which is nothing is impossible if you put your trust in God. And I do think that I, that has given me an attitude of being able to, I do, I have some confidence there that I can do anything if I set my mind to it. Mm, so interesting. So that you, you know, you were brought up with what you would maybe describe as this religious upbringing that felt maybe a little stifling, but yet that song with the word God in it is something that stays with you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But now I have to put my trust in me. And um, that reminds me of another one of my favorite songs, which is uh, Julie Andrews, because my voice is a little like hers, perhaps not quite so uh, quite so fabulous, but uh, <laughs> she has a great song there from The Sound of Music, which is, I have confidence in yes. sunshine, yes. and uh, I have confidence in me, and that's a really important tenet that, I, that I've somehow had intrinsically. Mm. So you were also an athlete as a young girl, which I think is always, um, you know, plays a significant role in, in developing confidence and self-esteem. Um, I read that you, you know, there was a point in time where you were trying to decide whether to go the route of um, tennis or track and field, which is a single player sport, or move over to team sports, and you felt more comfortable as a team player. Absolutely. It was much more fun. You had someone to celebrate victories with and commiserate the losses. Uh, so field hockey became my number one sport through those university days and beyond, actually. Mm. Field hockey, is that um, a big sport for It's for a big your... sport in Australia, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, so then you went off and you received a degree. You got a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Sydney. Um, and yet you landed your first job. It was I'm not sure if it's your first job with J.P. Morgan. Or... No, there were a few other uh, jobs in the meantime. I had thought I was going to study law after my arts degree, but I worked for a couple of years for a law firm in Sydney because I was funding myself through university. 
mm. and um, realized that I didn't really like the work and wasn't that good at it anyway. And so um, after two years, I took a job instead um, managing what you would call a ranch um, oh, wow. uh, because one of the legal partners was going on his walkabout around the world that Australians tend to do. He was heading off for a year and wanted someone to uh, manage his property. So I agreed to do that. And um, during that period, uh, we took a load of cattle to the market. And it was on a day when the prices dropped two cents a kilo, which was quite a lot. He told me, don't worry about it, I've hedged them on the futures market. And so I had no idea what he was talking about, but thereafter started tracking the futures market. And when he returned from his trip, I um, took a job as a floor trader on the Sydney Futures Exchange. Oh. And from those commodities, trading fat lambs and wool and uh, uh, gold and silver, I gravitated towards the financial contracts. And that ultimately led me to the job with JP Morgan when uh, later on I had moved to uh, London. Okay. And then tell me what brought you to the US? Having worked in the UK with JP Morgan uh, for uh, a few years, I had built their financial futures business from pretty much nothing to about a $40 million business. And um, we'd become the biggest uh, financial f futures operator in Europe. So then they asked me to move to New York to run the global futures and options business. Wow. That's impressive. And, and, and my guess is at that time, you were probably one of the few women um, within your department working in that field and, and seeing that much success. There weren't too many women either as floor traders or, you know, involved in management positions in the futures industry. Um, but there were a couple. Mm -hmm. And the same at uh, JP Morgan. Actually, one of the reasons I loved it was that there were more women in the trading room than I had seen before. Um, my first job in London, I was with a commodity broker. I was the uh, one of 40 brokers and I was the only woman in that dealing room. It was a little chaotic. Yeah. Um, but uh, as a global business manager, I think there were several, there were at least three of us uh, out of a team of about 12. Uh, so I didn't really feel alone for sure. So in that experience, was there ever a moment for you where you felt, I'm a woman in this room and perhaps I'm not receiving the acknowledgement that I should be because I'm a woman? Or perhaps you didn't have that experience. I never really felt that. I felt that every single person, you know, those jobs, they're pretty tough. They're high-powered. And everything that you say in every meeting had to have weight and had to be correct and had to be accurate. So my recollection of those days is that you really had to be on your game. And um, men and women. Um and if you, uh, you know, were on point and were able to take the conversation into a new direction or the right direction or be able to solve problems, um, then you got credit for that. Mm. So that was, you know, at least in my consciousness, I never sort of sat around uh, bitching about, you know, I'm not being heard. Mm. It's interesting. It's more about it was more if you had the facts and figures and you know the information, you were fine. It was less about creativity and and ideas. You had yeah. to know your numbers. Yeah, always. 
Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, whether there was someone at J.P. Morgan that believed in you and kind of helped take you to that next level. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. Hi, Dr. Marianne Ritchie from Jefferson University Hospital. Anybody out there experiencing hip pain? A bursa is a sac of fluid which lubricates the hip joint. There are 18 of them around your hip. Inflammation causing bursitis causes pain on the side of your hip, especially when you push on it. Pain in the buttock, the back of the thigh, especially traveling below the knee and associated with numbness or tingling. Think arthritis of your back, not of the hip joint. A hip fracture or a break in the bone can cause severe pain in the front of the hip, the front of your thigh, and it can be really hard to see on x-ray, especially if the bones are aligned or non-displaced, and you may need an MRI to make the diagnosis. Osteoarthritis, wear and tear arthritis, that's the one we hear most about, usually causes groin pain. Who would know that? Pain in your groin, which is worse with movement rather than pressing on it like bursitis. Other common features, morning stiffness after being in bed all night or sitting in a chair for hours, or pain when you rotate your leg. See your doctor, get an x-ray. Avoid weight-bearing and prolonged standing. Avoid the treadmill and impact activities. Don't squat. Don't twist at the waist. Sleep with a pillow under your thigh on the affected side. Use a cane on the opposite side of your bad hip to upload your weight. You may need surgery if the pain begins to interfere with daily functions like walking, driving, putting on your shoes, getting in and out of the car or a chair, or even climbing stairs. Please avoid injections of steroids within four months of the surgery because it can double the risk of infection after the surgery. So ladies, treat yourselves like divas. If you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Welcome back. You're listening to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. And I'm joined today by Stephanie Newby, CEO of Crimson Hexagon and the founder of investment firm Golden Seeds. Um, just before the break, we were talking about uh, how you ended up at J.P. Morgan and what your experience was like there. Um, I wonder if there was someone that you can recall who believed in you and, and helped to kind of sustain that confidence that you had in yourself. Well, definitely I had two bosses that I think were very, um, very supportive. The first was um, Gary Lawrence, who was the, the one that recommended for me to become the global business leader when he himself moved on and it happened at a time when I had just gone out on maternity leave so 
an interesting time to be promoted, which I was. And uh, but it, the company really worked uh, hard to find a way for me to to keep the job open for while I was out on maternity leave, so that it was available for me when I got back. And I was really grateful to that. So his support was really strong. And another one of my bosses, Steve Thieke, um, who uh, had worked at the Fed under Gerald Corrigan for many years and was a senior person and um, has uh, was also very supportive of me after leaving JP Morgan, had um, you know recommended me for a couple of different jobs and helped me get onto a corporate board and uh, actually invested in uh, one of the Golden Seeds funds. So that it's the kind of support you don't forget. Yeah, and especially coming from two men, right, as opposed to a woman who I think sometimes as women we expect other women to kind of support us and, and lift us up. So, uh, or, or I'll ask you that. Do you think it had more weight coming from two of your male colleagues? Uh, well, those that was important, but there weren't too many uh, women in more senior positions, mm, right. you know, maybe one or two so. There were, you know, it was a boss is someone that you get to know pretty well, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they I felt that they really were supportive having seen me as a manager and, um, you know, more than just the numbers. Yeah. Um, I want to share a quote with our listeners um, that you said. You said it's important for women to consciously follow the money and the money today is in the high growth tech sector. What would you say to a young woman contemplating a career transition, perhaps, um, or a woman looking to get into the tech sector later in life? Uh, it's never too late to start anything new, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that it's important for people to really see technology as a career option at any point in their lives, because I do believe in it. I think that's where innovation and wealth creation has happened for for many people over the years even you know even today i often am meeting people who are currently investors in technology companies and they often were people that were very early on at intel um or you know founders of software companies in the 70s and 80s that um had that wealth that enables them to be investors today and um what's important to know for women is that not everybody at a tech company knows how to code. There are many, many jobs in all of these technology companies that don't require you to be a computer programmer. So mm -hmm. we should just drop that notion that uh, tech is all about coding. Tech has marketing people, has education people, HR people, um, sales people, services people, customer success, etc. So there are many job opportunities, and I really think it's important for for more women to get exposure to that to that industry. Yes, and, and it's I, a broad industry. It is, and I think you're right that it is one of the fears or perceptions that women have about you know technology when they hear that term, and perhaps you know during school years, um, starting early you know, young girls should be educated about all the vast opportunities within that field. And also, it's good to do some coding. So I actually decided I didn't want to be afraid of looking at a few lines of code. So I went and learned some HTML, built my own website. And, you know, I haven't done very much more with it. But if I look you at a line of code... You say that very 
very blasé. So I taught myself code and built my own website. No, I, I can look I, at a line of code and not freak out about about it. And I think that's important to t- just take the mystery away. It's just something that you can learn. But do you think that that's you have a, an ability? to learn that or do you think anybody, anybody can? can because i can't imagine i could we but. had an engineer at crimson hexagon who was female her major was double english wow so anyone can do it anyone can do it we should probably connect the dots between your move from jp morgan to crimson hexagon and for the listeners who might not you know it's a um a customer insight uh, social media company software company Yes, so Consumer Insights is what we provide to our enterprise customers, mm-hmm. and um, they get access to all of the social media data that we collect every day, which is hundreds of mil- millions of posts uh, a day, and almost a billion posts a day, actually. Um, and uh, and then our software is uh, in the hands of customers who can then find what it is that consumers are saying about them or their product or their consumer or their campaign, advertising campaign, or basically any topic and uh, have it served to them in, you know, easy to consume ways. Yeah. So can you tell us the transition that you had from JP Morgan to CEO of this company? How did that come about? Yes. So after uh, a Wall Street career, I decided that I wanted to do something to support women entrepreneurs with a view to um, seeing if we could find a way to have more women as CEOs And what better way than support a woman who started her own company and is a founder and a CEO already? And the important thing that um, you need is capital. So I quickly became, you know, got on to providing capital to women entrepreneurs as a way to get this vision to come into being. And that's what uh, Golden Seeds became was the opportunity for women entrepreneurs to get early stage funding. And um, and it was and I actually led the uh, the Series A round of financing for Crimson. Co-led it with a colleague in Boston, actually. And uh, so Crimson Hexagon was a company I was excited about from its very beginning, and got to know it very well as an investor. And then um, I guess it was several years later that I stepped in as interim CEO. And after a couple of months in that position, uh, the board asked me to stay. And that three months became six years. Right. (laughs) We were talking a little bit before the show about the fact that you were asked, you know, it's always interesting when you kind of take um, an offer and it's it's going to be temporary. And then all of a sudden, years later, you're still there. Um, What is your next step? Should we talk about uh, what, yes, so I whether am, you're uh, transitioning out of uh, this position at the end of July, and um, that's been in the works for a few months. And uh, I first am taking summer off, and I'm very um, quick at making decisions. You know, when I have loose ends, I like to figure out what the next step is and make sure it gets the decisions are made and everything gets buttoned up. And this time around, I'm saying no, I'm not going to make decisions quickly. 
take a little take time off reflect yeah indeed um, I'm talking to Stephanie Newby, the CEO of Crimson Hexagon and founder of Golden Seeds. And we're going to take a break uh, for our legal watch. Stay with us for the break. And when we come back, I want to talk about what your leadership style has been, how you've motivated your team. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch legal watch. Hi, this is Carol Weinman with Legal Watch. Today, I'm here to speak to you about special education. A recent study, Sue, reported by the Department of Ed revealed an increase in students receiving special education in public schools. Students with autism, intellectual disabilities, and developmental delays each accounted for between 5 and 9% of those students. Now, what I found the real problem is that it centers on what the school determines is a needed service. So students with autism and developmental delays often perform well academically. And for that reason, a lot of schools assume that no services are required. However, they fail to understand that many of the characteristics of these students' disability do affect their learning. And by that, I mean an inability to focus, sensory concerns, emotional dysregulation, and executive function deficits. So let's take a student who's earning good grades, yet can't organize or is highly sensitive to loud sounds. Well, Sue, the ability for that student to learn is compromised. The good news is that many means are available to assist that student simply with appropriate accommodations or services. So once the school provides the needed support, these students blossom and feel just so much better about themselves. Take one student I represented who refused to go to school. When I persuaded the school to give what she needed, she was up early and excitedly waiting by the door to go in. So what can appear complicated is often really simple. Let's figure out what that student needs and get it. If you're in need of a special ed lawyer, please contact me on my website, WeimanLawOffice.com. The leading autism expert, attorney, and legal consultant, Carol Weinman, understands how to handle your legal needs. Weinman Law prides itself on keen judgment and unparalleled instinct. Weinman focuses on you, the client, as an individual with a very specific need, demanding her unique, one-of-a-kind expertise. Contact Weinman Law at 215-591-3614. That's 215-591-3614. Weinman Law, offering women and men nationwide expert representation and consultation. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Thank you for joining another week of Women to Watch. And I'm talking this evening with Stephanie Newby. She's the CEO of Crimson Hexagon. And um, with the success that you've had in your career at large level companies, um, I am always curious 
I think that everyone has a different leadership style. And um, I'm wondering what yours is. How did you uh, motivate your team and the people around you to stay engaged and work at their highest level? Back in the 90s, I read a book called The Wisdom of Teams. It was written by a couple of McKinsey guys, I believe. And um, and I learned a lot from that book about how important it was to be deliberate about creating a high-performance team. And so I used that uh, over the years in many different iterations. At Crimson Hexagon, I um, found another book that I thought incorporated many of those values and added some and sort of modernized some of the thinking because I wanted to get a little, you know, very up-to-date um, uh, organizational thought. Uh, and I turned, uh, and that book was called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, and I turned the first half of that book into a series of workshops that I took through with my uh, newly formed executive team, which basically came together around 2014. And, um, and really, it's, um, you know, there were several steps that, uh, that you go through and these workshops that I created took us through. The first is to build trust, and trust is something that takes a long time. So there's no magic formula how to get there, but we all know it's um, hard won and easily lost. That's right. Um, but the second step was interesting to me. It was called conflict mastery. And, and I really focused on that because I realized the important thing is to be able to solve problems together and what you need is for everybody to put all their cards on the table and tell and explain what they really felt. And sometimes conflict happens in teams or in meetings. And I see it as something valuable because what it means is people are expressing what they really think and they're passionate about mm. the outcome. So you don't want to lose that because mm. what's, you know, what's worse? It's because somebody's, you know, multitasking or they think they've got an idea, but they're not willing to explore it fully or even have it vetted by their colleagues. So that was the thing that, that I felt was the most you know, valuable. And if we have a way to uh, you know, really express um, conflict in a constructive way, and I've found one of the tricks I've learned is just calling out the emotion in a dialogue can sometimes dissipate it. Or another way um, to think of it is a sort of having a second dimension in the room. So instead of being fully engaged in the conversation that's happening around the table, to elevate yourself above that and look down on it and sort of say, what's going on? You know, why is that person agitated? Why is this person not doing anything? And just call it out as the leader of the meeting. Oh, I see your multitasking. Is there something that you know, you, do we, should we take a break so you can finish that work because so, we need you engaged in this conversation? Or you, you know, seem to be angry. You know, I heard the emotion in your voice when you were arguing with your colleague. Um, let's just stop a minute because I want to capture that and let's pull it apart and figure out wh why it is that you're feeling that way because we love the idea that you're trying to express and there's, there's more there. So let's... Mm. <clears throat> pull that out yeah so those things I've found um, just a couple of ways to help you know bring that in 
into something that's constructive that can get the whole team to move forward rather than something that could otherwise be destructive. So if you just ignore it, everybody leaves the room feeling a bit uncomfortable and weird. And now there are all these sideways conversations in mm-hmm. the hallways about did you, you know, what was he on about and did you see that guy? Um, so much better to just let it all happen. And an important element of that too is the idea that you, um, if you disagree with something, you express it. And if the majority still wants to go in that same direction, then you must commit. So disagree and commit as a thing Mm -hmm. to then take out of the room so that you as a team show a single voice to the company. Mm. And for an executive team, that's, of course, really important. So you're really allowing everyone to feel as though their voice is being heard. Yes, but also to to, to acknowledge that the emotion when it happens first of all it's very human mm-hmm. we are humans and um and that there was a reason for it and let's understand why so that we can you know maybe that maybe there's something the rest of us are missing because of how you've expressed yourself mm, yeah um you've been asked in in previous interviews about women's um inability to speak up ask for that raise move forward um perhaps pursue um a business that they've been wanting to launch. And um, you said that one of the greatest challenges for women is is the lack of confidence. And so we, we talked about this a little bit, but I'd love to know really where the confidence developed in you. Was it innate or was it through experience? And has it grown over the years? Um, can you remember any specific incident that that kind of gave you that confidence. I think confidence is often built from life experiences where we do something and it turns out the right way. Yes, and I hate that I've already criticized my parents, so I will say this, that somehow, you know, these things come from, you know, very primal things and that somehow my parents did instill that. And I think everybody, all my siblings have that same sense of I can do anything that I really set my mind to. Um, But they were also pretty competitive. And my father in particular, and I was good at stuff. You know, I could, you know, academically, musically, um, athletically and all of that. So I think that I got that extra little bit of um, validation from my father that probably as a child did feed it in mm. in some uh, way that's hard to really pinpoint. Mm. That's interesting because often from all of the interviews I have done, more so than not, women say that that, um, that kind of feedback from their father versus their mother did give them confidence. So there's something psychological there. We'll have to dig deeper. (laughs) I hope not. Uh, We're going to take another break. Stay with us uh, during the break for our Leadership Watch, Holly Dowling, and I'll be back with Stephanie Newby, CEO of Crimson Hexagon. Women to Watch. Leadership Watch. Hi, Holly Dowling here, and thrilled to give you some inspiration for your Leadership Watch today. So today, I'd like you to pause. Wherever you are and wherever you're sitting, an interesting thing happens when we realize that what you see is what you're looking for. Let me repeat that. What you see is what you're looking for. 
You know, it's an interesting and yet such a beautiful dichotomy in life that when you want to begin to see things in a different way, you almost have to put on a new pair of glasses. I want to share with you the shiny penny. The shiny penny is a very important piece of my life. So we all know when you're walking down the street, and many of you have seen it, whether it's a penny or a coin of any kind, and it's just glistening in the sunlight, and you go to pick up that beautiful shiny penny. And just imagine that right now as you pick it up and you put it in your hand and you bring that shiny penny closer and closer and closer to your vision. And the closer it gets to your eyes, you tend to see a lot of flaws. And those flaws take away from that beautiful shiny penny you first saw that you gravitated to. Isn't that how we are in life? Don't we tend to hire people on our teams and spend time with people in our life, the people we've chosen to spend our most significant time with? And what do we do? We lose sight of their brilliance and what makes them so beautiful. And we begin to focus on what's missing or the flaws that they're bringing to the world. So today, I beg you and I ask you to go back to the shiny penny. If you're a leader of others, would you take a moment and begin to reflect on each of your team members and what makes them so brilliant and why you hired them to begin with? Because they need to be reminded of it. And for yourself as well, start focusing on what makes you brilliant. And for your loved ones back at home, it's time to reflect on the shiny penny. And that is your inspiration for today. I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me at hollydowling.com. is Holly Dowling. Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives, and her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world, hollydowling.com. I'm speaking this evening with Stephanie Newby, and uh, Stephanie's had quite a career, successful um, in finance and and, and investing in women entrepreneurs. We didn't talk too much about Golden Seeds, but I think what a um, tremendous organization that's offering resources and support for women today that need that. Um, and, and you were the founder of that. And I just want to say thank you to you for that and for having that vision of how we can really um, make progress for women trying to raise capital by encouraging more women to be investors. What a great, great Indeed. idea. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, equal pay is a hot topic in the news today for, for women and equality. And I'm wondering if what you have seen in your career, do you see that getting better? I think so. I think that, um, you know, if I go back to that commodity broker that I used to work for in London uh, before the J.P. Morgan days, um, yeah, I was told I wasn't getting a bonus because the guy that sat next to me had four children. And at the time, I just went, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> I'd probably never gotten wow. a bonus before anyway. Um, so, you know, at least today, people won't be quite so overt about it. Um, but I do think that what's important is that women talk about compensation with their boss. And so what I tell women, younger women today in particular, is 
have you spoken about compensation? Why not? The men are all doing it. Mm. And I keep saying to them, you have, you're the only person on the team that hasn't come in and talked to me about their compensation yet. Why is that? Mm. So I think once you, that's a way to get their competitive juices going, thinking, oh, okay, well, if they're all doing it, well, I better. Yeah. But uh, trust me, they're all doing it, so the women must too. That's yeah. really important. And that's the starting point because if you're not asking, then it's easier to, you know, when the tough decisions are being made to, you know, reward the squeaky wheel, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of, of how it can work. So where do you think that comes from, that inability to, to talk about compensation and, and speak up about what what you're deserving mm-hmm. of? I don't have any research on that that I can pinpoint or um, or speak to, but I do think that um, sometimes we try not to ruffle feathers, and this is a feather that has to be ruffled. Mm. Well, I think it's it it will be happening and and you know sooner than later because the conversations are being had and the awareness is always the first step um this is a question for you not necessarily about technology it's more of a media question but i'm always curious to know um from women how they deal with this 24-hour news cycle where we are um just receiving information every day, all day long about things that are happening on a global level. And how do you keep your faith in mankind hearing these stories all day long, every day? Well, I do think that um, the exposure that comes from the media and social media is fantastic because it's much better that we're hearing about things than that they're swept under the carpet or that the, a light isn't being shined onto, you know, bad things that happen to people um, or conversations that have been negative and brushed under the carpet. So, you know, the whole Me Too movement, I think, might be tough for people to hear this stuff, but it's uh, it's the, the very thing that liberates uh, uh, us from... Uh, the bad stuff mm. that has happened behind the scenes. So I don't think we should shy away from it. Um, as for the 24-7 thing, I think that everybody can switch it off. You know, it's a good thing. I, I uh, am not one of those people that stays glued to uh, news. And some people do think that it's worse. You know, the news that you hear is worse today. But, you know, I grew up in the outback of Australia and we ha- were in the Cold War. And I learned about nuclear warfare, lived in fear of it, and knew, you know, in that little town of 300 people where I would climb under my desk Mm. when a nuclear attack happened somewhere nearby. Now, the chance of that seems, the whole thing seems ludicrous today. Yes, yes. My mom has shared those same stories, practicing, going under the desk. Indeed. Yes, we don't don't have that. Yeah, so I think that those, you know, they were tough times. The Cold War was a really tough time and we did live in fear and people that were in closed communities and those, there are still some of those today, fewer, thank goodness, but those people lived in um, and continue to live in great fear. Mm. So I think there are, there's, there are fewer of those. I actually went to Berlin on the day after the Berlin Wall fell because I thought it was such a momentous 
moment in history I just wanted to be part of it like mm. I'm even going to tear up right now oh, thinking about it because yeah. that was huge mm. for that waterfall and um and and you know I fortunately didn't live through World War II but one of the reasons why those movies still exist is it devastated Europe yes so we might think we live in tough times but you know the there are plenty of comparisons that suggest we have a great life. Mm. Well, I love that mentality. You know, there's always been things happening in the, in the world, but um, they're just different. They're not worse. Yeah. Listen, um, we're at the end of the show. I thank you so much for joining me today, Stephanie. Your your story is, is really remarkable, and you're such an inspiration for women. Thank you, Susan. It was great to chat to you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. And a big thank you to our ongoing sponsors, Jefferson University Hospital, Weinman Law Office, Holly Dowling, and LaSalle University for their support of Women to Watch. Thanks again for tuning in to the real story behind her title. Have a great week. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.